to overcome, succeed in dealing with a problem or difficulty, defeat of an opponent to prevail, overpower or overwhelm of an emotion, adversity, a difficult or unpleasant situation, used in a sentence, resilience in the face of adversity. I want to break free. Welcome back, all you germs and jelly beans. I've always wanted to say that, by the way. Uh, Someone used to say it to me when I was like in a children's theater. They always used to call everybody, ladies and gentlemen, germs and jelly beans. So I just always wanted to say that. Uh, Welcome back to episode number 22 of the Overcoming Adversity podcast. I am one of your hosts, Blake Cohen, here with the other lovely host, Amanda Marino. Hi, Amanda. Hey, hey. What's going on, Blake? Happy to be here. Happy to be here also. I feel like the time in between our recordings is is so long, but it's not like you and I don't talk. It goes so fast. So much has happened since the last podcast between you and I that there's so much to catch people up on. Um, I think you and I are going to have to do an episode where it's just you and I talking. We're going to have to do another catch-up episode for everybody. Totally. Totally. Yep. It's been a, it's been a journey, a lot of fun. And, you know, I'm so excited that, you know, we are we're doing this and that we, you know, we have so many amazing people reach out to us that want to be guests. And, you know, I'm so excited about our, our guest today and, and just all the new fun things that are going on. Yeah. So, so speaking of that, we, we do have an awesome guest for today and I want everybody to give her a warm round of applause, even though she can't hear you. Uh, this is her first time doing a, one of these podcasts, but she's brave enough and willing to be vulnerable with us and, and to to put her story out there in hopes that it helps somebody else. So, hi, Rebecca. Hello. Woo! Thanks for having me. <laughs> there was the round of applause. There was the round of applause. So happy to round girl. of applause. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on, and it's it's really cool to have you on, and I'm excited to hear your story. You've been incredibly, in the best way possible, persistent about wanting to come on here. So it's it's been really nice, and you've you've always you just have a very positive way about you on LinkedIn. Um, a lot of our guests that we find, we we do get from LinkedIn. It's people who reach out to us who want to share their story through there, and we love it when somebody's willing to be vulnerable. So thank you. You are so welcome, and I appreciate you know the way you invite people to participate in this process of creation and sharing stories. And I have to say, it was a strange experience, um, like raising my hand, you know, out there in the ether to say, "Hey, I want to tell my story," you know, because I think a lot of times <laughs> that can be seen as like a lack of humility or. Um, you know, don't, maybe the way we're taught as girls, like, don't, you don't have anything to say unless somebody asks you. Like, if they ask me, then I'll say yes. But I'm not going to, like, <laughs> advertise myself as being willing. And um, that was a big step for me to say, hey, I have something to say, and it's important, and I want to make sure that it gets heard. And that's, I think that in and of itself just shows how much healing and growth <laughs> has occurred in my life. Yeah. That's amazing. We want to hear you. <laughs> yeah, your bravery, you know, it, it is. It's nerve-wracking to to share your story, especially on a, a public platform like this. It's it's scary. Who's going to hear it? What am I going to say? What if I don't represent yeah. myself well? What if I make a mistake? Um, 
but I, I hope you feel comfortable enough with us that, you know, this is a very open podcast. People come on here and share some really deep stuff with us. And Amanda and I are also very vulnerable and we, we share a lot of our personal stuff on here as well. And I think the response that we've gotten has been incredible that people are so open and loving and caring when somebody is willing to put themselves out there. And it's truly the only way to get to know somebody is if they're willing to, to, to show their true self to everyone else. Agreed. Absolutely. Agreed. And a tenet of, you know, the work I think all of us are trying to do personally and professionally of um, reducing shame and just kind of shining the light on things that people don't get a chance to talk about so openly in such safe places or where it's just kind of like, Hey, this is life. So it's a cool thing to be included in. Thank you. I think social media makes us forget that every single person has a struggle or is going through something at some point or has gone through something major, but all we see is the positive snippets of, of people's lives on social media. And it's, it's very easy to forget that we all, we all have hardships and we all have a tough time and, and you're not alone out there and you don't have to be to feel like you're alone. There's other people who are willing to share their story to help you, whoever is listening right now, get through their hard time. So Rebecca, tell us, tell us a little bit about, about your past and, uh, you know, this is the Overcoming Adversity podcast. Tell us, talk us through your adversity. <laughs> oh, okay. So let's dive right in. <laughs> I know, right? Like how, where does that story even begin? I think, um, the, the obvious starting place is, you know, when I was a kid and, um, this and that, but I, I don't think when you're in it, when you're living in it, it doesn't feel like adversity until you've had a taste of what some freedom or relief can feel like. And then you realize how tough it really was. And I think, you know, when, when you're in it and for me in it was, um, a home where both of my parents, had you know some pretty severe mental illness that wasn't addressed Hmm. um my dad had an eating disorder I didn't know like I don't know all this while I'm a kid growing up but uh, my dad has an eating disorder um he's also got you know chronic and severe depression later on he would attempt suicide um he just he was a rager um, he just, he had no bandwidth for us as a family. And I loved my dad. I love my dad, but he was very, very sick. And, um, you know, a lot of PTSD from his family and some of the things that he experienced as a kid. And then my mom, you know, kind of very, I'm not, a, I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not capable of diagnosing my mother, but, Um, you know, she's very, she has a hard time with the truth. She's not emotionally available. Um, we never bonded. We never had a close relationship and, um, there just was no connection in my home. And so my brother and I were kind of left to figure it out, you know, and (laughs) there are so many things that my parents did right. And I, it's taken me a long time to be able to say that. Um, but they did, they did a lot of things right. And I commend them for, for the choices they made for us, my brother and I, but, you know, now 
I look back and I see it with really different eyes. So, you know, no one gets help in my family. Everyone gets sicker and sicker and sicker. A lot of my aunts and uncles have um, died from alcohol or drug-related deaths. Um, you know, extensive mental illness in my family, extended family. Uh, we're all very disconnected. And so it's like everyone's their own little island just trying to get by. And so I started my own eating disorder behaviors really young. Um, I was, I think the youngest I can remember was about eight and waiting till everybody went to bed so that I could go in the kitchen and eat alone and where nobody could see me and nobody could tell me how much to eat or how little to eat or what to eat or I didn't feel like I was taking something away from my dad that he wanted to eat and then by 13 14 um I had started using substances and in that time you know between like age six seven and 13 I had been um sexually assaulted by a neighbor and a family member and you know the way that that was handled in my family was the same it was like (laughs) uh, well the first you know I didn't know that anything was wrong so I didn't say anything I just thought I didn't know I was really young and then with my family member I did I did tell my parents and I thought you know what you're taught to do and instead they just couldn't they couldn't deal with it. It sounds like growing up, Um, there was a lot of avoidance behaviors, a lot of not being willing to recognize the problems in the household. And, you know, I find it incredible that your father struggled with this eating disorder, yet never really acknowledged it. And then you end up pretty much developing the same type of illness. And it's almost like, you didn't mean to, it's like a heredity. You, you inherited this, this way of coping with life in a negative way. Totally. And, and we know that to be true about eating disorders. We know that, you know, a lot of it does start out as behavior that's not body-based. It's not weight-based. Um, and so that was true for me. And, you know, I wasn't at eight years old thinking about, I just wanted to feel comfort. You know, my parents didn't right. have the ability to comfort me. And so I did, I did learn that from him. <laughs> he would be in front of the TV eating whatever he wanted to eat. And my mom would make sure that that food was always available to him. No matter what was going on with our family financially, that food was made available to him. Um, and so that, of course, as a kid, you're going to be like, oh, well, that's the ultimate comfort. Um, right. well, and, but and I had I- to steal it because it was for him. I know we're not there yet and we're going to move forward in your story eventually, but I, I do want to just, I don't even know if you realize this stuff, but the, I want to commend you on the obvious amount of work that you've done in your <laughs> life because even the way that you speak about your, your past issues and the way you speak about your parents just shows how much, how much work you've done. And to say that my parents didn't do this or didn't do that is not what you're doing. You're saying they didn't have the capability of doing it. So it's, you're speaking in a place from understanding of understanding and And healing and healing. Exactly. Almost as if you're a third party looking at the situation saying, look, I can see that where, where they were faulted and where they didn't have the tools that they needed to, to for proper parenting. Yeah. And most of the time I can be in that place. And then sometimes, you know, when I, um, I've made some decisions later on in my adult life to, to 
not have contact with them anymore. And that was a really tough decision, but, um, and heartbreaking on so many levels. Um, but when I'm back around them or when I'm, you know, trying to participate in a relationship with them, I'm not that person. I'm so, I just spin out so quickly. And it's like, I'm, you know, 14 year old Rebecca again, who can't communicate anything, who is so shut down and so angry and I just spiral and, so thank you for saying, you know, like, no, obviously yeah. there is a lot of healing and work that's been done, but I also want to let people know, like, hey, you can have a foot in both of these places and it doesn't mean that you haven't done the work. Yeah, you just made su- it's such an important point that I was thinking too, that like, no matter what you're doing, this is, this healing process is, is exactly that. It's a process and it takes time and we, we regress, we take steps backward, then we take steps forward and it's such a, a, a dance that we, that we have to keep maintaining and constantly stay in to, to heal. Yeah. It's a game of inches. For sure. <laughs> totally. So bringing us forward then a little bit, so you're talking about your teens. So then tell us about your early 20s and what that looked like. Um, I started attempting to get sober around age 19 so um you know I spent from like 13 14 to 19 drinking you you know anything I mean whatever I could whatever I could do obviously to be checked out and um I did experience um there was a anyway I did experience a couple other sexual assaults throughout that time and it was you know this is a strange climate to be making comments about those experiences, but since they're mine, I, I feel like I can say what I'd like, but, you know, I just had no regard for myself or my safety yeah. and um, myself as a person. And so, <laughs> you know, it's not anyway. So by the time I was 19, I just, um, I was really worn out and I had an employer, thankfully, willing to send me to um, like an EAP service and that that person put me in detox for the first time and you know I thought my life was over I thought you know I'm 19 I'm too young to be an alcoholic this can't be happening Um, and of course you know now like thank God for those people you know thank thank you universe (laughs) Um, but that it took me another six years to get and stay sober um you know it wasn't like a wow I, I see it like oh I'm a mess let's turn it around thank you people for loving me find 12 step you know turn it around and here I am it was um many many years of continued relapse and um new so depths and yeah you started your the recovery process that you're on now then around 25 yes Okay. Yeah. So I've been sober. I've been in long-term recovery. I just celebrated 14 years back in December. Wow. Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And I actually, <laughs> pretty cool. I got sober at 25 too. That was my, and you know what? There actually is a common theme and there's been some studies on it just in, you know, totally sidetracking here, but that because 25 is around the age where our brain stops developing, we can actually look at our life in a more rational way. And that 25 is a common age that people actually end up getting sober. There's some, I was there's 26 because some... I'm a little slow. Yeah, well, 
no, no judgment here. <laughs> Your brain's just bigger, Amanda. Yeah, exactly. You just you developed further than anybody else. <laughs> so but before. Well, before we go to, to your recovery, because I'm, I'm interested in hearing what that process looked like, was there at 25, and I'm sorry if you guys hear my cats meowing in the background, um, before that happened, what, what was the catalyst that finally, that just this whole big buildup, what was the, the final event that you said, okay, this, enough is enough, I'm doing this for real? Um. Well, I had done that dance of, uh, like I think so many men and women do in recovery from substances where we, okay, so I, um, I would be able to put some time together, um, abstinent from substances, um, and then very quickly would revert back to my eating disorder. And my eating disorder would get so severe that I needed relief from that. And the only thing I knew was to return to substances. And so I did that dance. And I could put together six months, a year. At one point, I almost had three years. You know, there was some stretches in there where I really, like, I'm, I'm a person in recovery. <laughs> um, but the whole time during those six years, I mean, my eating disorder was out of control and running my life. And I became increasingly isolated, you know, the malnourishment that was going on. And I look back now and I think, how did I absorb anything? You know, how did I, how was my brain? I mean, it's just a miracle. And I, and I had a woman tell me in, in three, she said, a woman that helped work with me for a while. She said, you know, at some point you're going to have to choose to be grateful for all the years you spent so sick in your eating disorder because it gave you some distance. It gave you some distance from substances for a while and it was a gift. And I was like, this lady is nuts. You know, like, <laughs> what is she talking about? She, she doesn't know what it's like to be, you know, in the depths of an eating disorder. And I just, I was so mad at her. And I think I was mad because I wanted somebody to understand how much pain I was in. And she was just like, be grateful. And I was like, for you. <laughs> yeah. uh, but she was right. You know, she was right. She's absolutely right. And um, it did. It gave me some relief and it probably kept me from a lot of things. Um, and it's given me so much, like in my personal and professional life, it's given me so much. And so um, those experiences and I would never, you know, everybody's journey is, is different and everybody, how everybody finds this is different, but I just, I had put together another six months. I had gotten sober again and I put together another six months and I thought I need treatment. I need treatment for my eating disorder. And I had spent a whole nother, you know, few days binging and purging and I was starting to throw up blood and I thought something could be really wrong with me. And I got scared and I was like, but I think more than scared, I thought, Somebody is going to take me seriously. If I go and ask for help, somebody's going to take me seriously because there's medically something wrong with me now. Right. Because I had gone through, you know, psychiatrists and doctors and all these people who are very well intentioned and in trying to help me and get my medication figured out and, you know, all this stuff over the years. And I would try and talk about my eating and they would just say, you know, why don't you try? I would say, I can't. Sometimes I just can't stop how much I'm eating. And they would say, well, try eating jelly. 
one lady told me that. She said, try eating jelly. You won't have so much guilt because it's a low calorie food. And I thought, okay, <laughs> I'll eat jelly, you know, like the crazy jelly. things. And so, yeah, jelly. Um, so it got to a point where I was like, somebody's going to take me seriously because I'm, there's something, something wrong with my body, not just with my mind, but something wrong with my body. And so I call, I called and asked for help. And I, my sponsor at the time took me to the hospital and I ended up going to treatment at that time. And, um, what you're saying that didn't end my eating disorder. <laughs> what, what you're saying speaks so much to the reason why we have to just get away from this stupid stigma that of mental illness, that if you don't, if you don't see any physical symptoms, then and it doesn't exist. And validating yeah. those people who have a mental illness problem, whether it's an eating disorder or addiction or whatever it may be, and even though you can't see it, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Depression, anxiety, those are all things that you can't see on the outside, but they're very real and they exist. And it just it's so interesting to see how your brain and your, your inner beliefs were, okay, finally I'm throwing up blood. Now someone will believe me. Now someone will take me seriously. And now I can get help now that there's physical symptoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I went, I went to the hospital. And I was so excited. And I was like, all these people paying attention to me. And like, you know, I'm drowning in recovery. Just not barely keeping my head above water, not drinking. And now I'm thinking about leaving for treatment to address this eating disorder. That's been my best friend since I was a kid and I have no idea and they gave me like a you know the the drink it's some kind of drink where they're going to do like a study on your esophagus and your intestines and you have to drink this like pink charcoal shake or something yeah so that it dies part of your insides and I I remember drinking that and being like they're going to be able to see they're going to be able to see how sick I am and then as soon as the nurse left I purged that in the, in the room at the hospital. And I thought, I think it was the first time I thought, Oh no, you're really sick. Like this isn't about like private relief when you have a few days where you can be away from people. This is really, it it was, I don't know. I just remember that so vividly and thinking like all I wanted was somebody to see me and take me seriously and help me. And then in that moment. And then the thing that they had given me to be able to do whatever medical diagnostic test, you know, I was interfering with that. And it was like, Oh, my brain is really not my own anymore. And, and so the journey from the, you know, the years of trying to come back from all the ways that we try and comfort ourselves and survive uh, yeah, I mean, it's, no. a, it's a miracle that people are out here doing this work, you know, like <laughs> it's so hard. Agreed completely. And you know, it's stuff that you didn't, weren't even aware of, or you don't even notice that you've got going on. And it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing that you got to that point where you were able to, to even notice what you were doing and where you were going wrong with things and, and, and to come out on the other side of it. That's uh, some pretty powerful testimony there. So tell us about what you're, what you're up to today and what, what <laughs> you do with your life today and where life has taken you. Well, I'm like Amanda. I'm chasing dreams. I'm saying no more to things that drain me and, you know, give me this half-assed life. Um, 
sorry if I'm misquoting you, Amanda, but I feel like that's what I take away from so many of your posts is like, get it. Just go out and <laughs> yes, get it. And, um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, part coming to Seattle with me, that was a big go get it. You know, life, I had spent so long. I've been, a, I've been in love with the same girl for a very, very long time. And, um, you know, my addiction and my eating disorder and my, you know, trauma and my blah, 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 my, all my unresolved stuff, it just, it made it impossible for me to be brave enough to have a life um, that included someone on that level. And um, coming to Seattle was a big leap for me. It was a big, I'm going to get it. I'm going to go and get the life that I was meant for. And um, so I'm up here doing that. And, you know, it's been one big, huge, massive transition of leading a state that I had built a professional life for myself with a team that I loved. Um, you know, my, my brother's there. He and I are very, very close. And his wife, like, that was my that was my life. And I was very happy and comfortable. And at some point it was like, you know, what, what else is in me? Yeah. <laughs> and I know that there's a lot in me that I'm meant to do and feeling like I had done enough work to make this big change and come out here and kind of turn the page on my life. Um, it's been really hard, but now I'm at a point where like the the work never stops it just kind of stops feeling like work and i love that it's a joy. That's so good. <laughs> it's a joy to just be able to like be with someone that sees you and loves you but also show up for people in a way that you feel really proud of and it is it's tough to just be to like take care of yourself and all the ways we learn to take care of ourselves and like self-care is such a buzzword now and it's like self-care this, self-care that. And, you know, I don't really know. <laughs> I love being outside and I love being with my animals and I love being at home and taking care of the space where there's, you know, no secrets and no sickness and no, um, there's no like dark corners of this home and I am so proud of that. And it's my favorite place to be. And so a lot of self-care, a lot of my recovery is just kind of like digging into this life that I'm building and trying to figure out, you know, what's next for me professionally. I just, I just resigned from a very large company doing a very big job <laughs> that I commend the other people on my team for being able to do so well. But, you know, it, I need structure and um, I need, I need a lot of things that I just wasn't able to provide for myself in that role. And I, I had to say, you know, no more. And so yeah. we'll see what's, <laughs> what's next, but. Well, it sounds like you found your I'm voice hoping. and you found your bravery and you found your willingness. You, you've learned about yourself enough to know what works for you and what doesn't. And you're not afraid to, to go after your dreams and go after what's going to give you that sense of fulfillment? I, yeah, I hope that's what it sounds like. Cause that feels really messy day to day. I'll tell you what it feels. Um, it feels like a lot of, I'm sure you guys can relate. I mean, you both are doing such big things and, um, 
you know, all the like, what ifs and I can't and I shouldn't and no one cares and what does it matter if you don't? And, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> but you yeah. do it. You Trust do it. me. You I, and I'm in a situation right now where I totally understand. I can't really say anything yet, but I'm in a situation. I totally understand <laughs> what you're, you're going through and it, it is definitely scary and weirdly exciting at the same time. You just, your gut moves when something is right. And it's about yeah. following that and listening to your inner voice and being brave enough to do so. Yeah. You know, that was, I had a person ask me a question very, very early on. It was probably within the first year that I got sober the first time. So I'm like 19, 20 and we were driving around and she asked me, she's like, if you could have one, um, like one magic power, you know, what would it be? And, or one, whatever. And I said, um, a trustable, trustable instincts. Mm. And I have that today. Yeah. I've had that for a while. And I remember sitting in the front of that truck, you know, driving around with my friend, these two crazy young kids trying to figure out which end is up. And that was really my wish because everything I chose, was, it just felt like the wrong, the wrong door, wrong door. Like price is right. You lose everything like wrong door, wrong door, wrong door. <laughs> and I just, and I feel so right every time. Like, no, I'm certain that I'm making the best choice. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. And then it was not awesome. <laughs> and now it's like, man, I've had so many people show me how to listen you know, to something inside myself to like peel away all the stuff that we come into recovery with. And I do have instincts that I can trust. I know how to keep myself safe. I know how to nourish myself. I know what healthy relationships are. You know, I can choose not to do those things, but I know I know what they are and I know what it feels like to, to not choose. And that gut, that gut feeling that I stay connected to is a gift. Yeah. Listening to your gut is certainly a it takes a workout it's a it's a muscle listening to your gut it's a habit and it's a muscle and you've got to really work out that muscle in order to be able to do it and by the way to say that that's what you want is your magic power that's very mature of you i i would certainly that would not be my first thought as a magic power i mean i, I would love to fly first of all or have the ability to go invisible not for creepy reasons invisible just to be able to like spend the night in a museum by myself or and be able to sneak in there oh. and do stuff like that. I think it'd be really cool. <laughs> well, so, there's still time. You never know, you know, miracles are coming. You never know when you can turn invisible <laughs> or learn to fly. You're so right. Well, it's been uh, awesome to have you on here. And I, we, I love that you shared your, your spirit with us and your story with us. And where can people find you if they're looking to find you? Is there, the place that you want to direct them to LinkedIn, what would you like? Yeah. LinkedIn for now would be great, especially as things change. Um, that's a great, that's a great option. I'm hoping to get some projects of my own up and running soon. So, but okay. updates would be posted there. So. Awesome. Well, LinkedIn, Rebecca reader, everybody, just so you know, I think we only said your first name before. And we'll put a we'll put a link to your LinkedIn bio in the uh, the description for the podcast episode. So before we let you go, we do have one last thing that we do with all of our guests, and it's called "Let It Out." And the idea is that a problem yeah. shared is a problem cut in half. 
and that we all overcome mm. these major adversities in life, but we're also dealing with daily adversities. So what is today's let it out for you? What would you like to let out and share with us today? Oh, today's let it out. Um, that there's a target weight for my upcoming wedding, that there's okay. a right weight to be married at. I've got to just let that go. That right now, today, in the body I'm in, <laughs> the shape and size and everything, that this body is perfect for my wedding day. That's really good. That's a really good one. <laughs> Very, a lot of self-love in that one. I like it. Amanda? My let it out is to just let it out when you need to. Just let it out. Ooh. That was a bit of a cop-out, but I'll, I'll accept it. <laughs> That's like, you know, when you define a word and you can't use the word in the definition? You just did that. <laughs> so uh, my let it out is... I am going through a bit of a transition right now and I have all these excited nerves going into it. So I just want to let out that I, I have a new project on the horizon and there's a lot of uncertainty there and I'm strangely, you know, respectfully fearful, but in the best possible way. But I do think it's important that we, we talk about our feelings and talk about what we're going through at the moment. So I would say that I'm a, there's a lot of uncertainty on the horizon. So I just, you know, I want to just express that I, I'm feeling a certain way about it and I am excited and nervous to see what the future holds. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the show with us. And I will have this up just in a uh, couple days here so people can hear your awesome story. And you've overcome a lot and you should be really proud of yourself. Thank you so much. It was a ton of fun. I appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Thank you so much. Amanda, any last words? Thank you. No, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your, your heart and your spirit with us. You definitely have a message that needs to get out there, so don't, don't hold back. Thank you. Well, guys, if you want to be a guest on our show, do us a favor and either shoot us a message, Amanda or I, a message on LinkedIn. Go to our Facebook page, Overcoming Adversity Podcast, or shoot us an email at overcomingadversitypodcast at gmail.com. Tell us a little bit about your story and the adversities that you faced, and we will get you scheduled to be on the show. If you enjoyed this show, do us a favor and leave us a five-star review on your favorite listening platform. And that is all I've got for episode number 22, Amanda. Thank you so much. That's it for me too. A little quiet today, but I'm definitely here and definitely enjoying and, um, you know, just grateful that we have such awesome guests like you today. So thank yeah. you for your heart. Awesome. Bye everyone. I want to break free.